The purpose of this program is not to prescribe a treatment to individuals. Listeners should consult their healthcare practitioner before attempting any treatment. Welcome to Health Watch. I'm Ellen Goldsmith, licensed acupuncturist, your host every second Monday of the month. Well, our country and culture has a very interesting relationship with fat. In fact, for decades, we've been told that eating fat causes heart disease and weight gain. And during that time, what's happened? Well, with fat out of the picture, more carbs, sugar, and flavor-enhancing chemicals became the norm, and we have become sicker and fatter. Type 2 diabetes has tripled and our relationship with food has changed. So what happens when we welcome fat back into our everyday diet? Health improves and weight loss is easier. And who we're, today we're speaking with Dr. Mark Hyman, the director of the Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine, founder of the Ultra Wellness Center, and New York Times bestselling author about his latest book, The Eat Fat, Get Thin Cookbook which was recently published by Little Brown. His cookbook helps us get back in the kitchen with over 175 tasty and nourishing recipes, along with, along with loads of practical advice that makes changing your diet doable. Dr. Mike, Mark Hyman, welcome to Health Watch. Thanks for having me. So let's start with what are our misconceptions about fat? Well, we, we really got into a, a pickle because in the 60s, there was a, some observational research which was looking at correlations between diet and heart disease. And there seemed to be a pattern in some countries that heart disease was linked to more fat in the diet and more saturated fat in particular. This was the Ansel Keys seven country studies. And that was basically a lot of uh, flimsy evidence that in the entire uh, almost half century of recommendations and further research was based on. And unfortunately, it was really flawed. It, it proved correlation, but not causation. In other words, they had seven countries they looked at, but sort of, for example, they excluded France, which has one of the lowest rates of heart disease and yet the highest rates of fat and saturated fat consumption. So it didn't fit the, the message. So we have a, a misconception that fat causes heart disease and specifically saturated fat, both of which I think are increasingly proven to be wrong. And two, that fat makes us fat, that if we eat fat, we get fat. And I think that sort of also makes sense because, well, gee, the fat that you eat looks like the fat on your body, and if you eat fat, it's got more calories than carbs, and if you eat more calories than carbs and protein, uh, you know, containing foods by eating more fat, you're going to get fat. And sadly, metabolism is not a math problem. It's not calories in, calories out. That's been a disproven theory for a long time now, yet most people still hold on to this view. Uh, and I think these two ideas, that fat causes heart disease and fat makes us fat, have really led to the low-fat epidemic and has really spurned the greatest diabetes and obesity epidemic in the history of humankind over the last 35, 40 years. Right, because when this low-fat diet started coming in, what seemed to happen was the to make food more tasty, you had to up the sugar and up the flavors and all of that, and you got a problem, right? That's right. When you take fat out, food tastes like cardboard. <laughs> so, uh, it's better to, you know, to eat fat because it actually cuts your appetite, it stimulates your metabolism, it helps you to burn more calories. Um, there's been amazing research actually looking at calorie for calorie, you know, comparing people on the same calorie diets. There's one study done by Dr. David Littwick at Harvard where he took 
same people in different times fed them different diets, ranging from 60% fat and 10%, 20% carbs to 60% carbs and 10% fat, which is a very low-fat diet. And they were eating exactly the same calories, but the, when they switched over to the high-fat diet from the low-carb diet, their metabolism sped up by 300 calories a day. In other words, by doing nothing more, their metabolism sped up, their cholesterol got better, their blood sugar got better, their insulin got better, their inflammation got better. Everything got better eating a higher-fat diet, which is the opposite of what we would have expected. So how does that happen? Like, how does eating good fat change our metabolism? What, what's the mechanism there? That's a really... Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great question. A great question. So, so what happens is that insulin, insulin is the hormone that's produced when you eat starch or sugar. Insulin is the fat fertilizer. Insulin is what actually makes you store belly fat. So, for example, if you take a type 1 diabetic, and everybody can understand this, they have, they have a pancreas that doesn't work. And these are, this is not diabetes you get from diet, but from... No, no. This is an autoimmune disease where your pancreas just stops working. And when you have a patient with this condition, they have no insulin. They are starving all the time. They are eating 10,000 calories a day, and they're losing weight. Mm. So if metabolism was just a math problem, if they ate all those calories, they would gain weight. But if you don't have insulin, you can't store the calories. So if we eat a diet that produces a lot of insulin, which is sugar and starch, and the average American eats about 152 pounds of sugar and 146 pounds of flour, about a pound a day combined of flour and sugar for every man, woman, and child in America, right? That's a lot. That's a pharmacologic dose. That produces tremendous amounts of insulin. So whatever's floating around in your blood, if you eat fat, if you eat sugar, starch, protein, all that gets stored. When you have a reduction in the carbohydrate load and in the starches and the sugars, you don't produce that insulin. So you can eat fat if you cut out the sugar and the starch. And then the fat will actually speed up your metabolism. It makes you um, feel full. It actually uh, causes more muscle mass to be built. It, it releases the fat from the fat cells. Whereas when you eat sugar and starch, it does all the opposite. It drives increases in uh, storage of the vet belly fat. It makes you hungrier. It slows your metabolism. It even makes you lazy because <laughs> you, you just don't want to move. Your body thinks you're starving. So you know, when, you, when you, uh, you basically have too much insulin, it just shunts all the fuel from your bloodstream into your fat cells, and then there's, there's this perception of, of lack, but you've literally got, you know, tens of tens of thousands of calories of stored fat, uh, which you can't actually use. It's so interesting, and then people like, are so dissatisfied anyway, right? They just keep looking for more and more, you know, that carb, carb filling, you know, you just can never get enough. Right. I mean, think about it. No, no one binges on 12 avocados, right? But people can easily eat uh, an entire bag of cookies. Right. right? So right. I, I, think, I think people understand that intuitively that, that, you know, you're not going to, how much, you know, how much, you know, butter can you eat or how much, how much oil can you have? You get full very fast. Right. And that's the whole point. Right. So, uh, and it's really hard to find full fat, like yogurt. You can't even, it's really hard to find full fat yogurt in the store or in full fat stuff is, is it on a comeback or... Absolutely. I think there's really a huge shift in, in, in the culture. I think we're seeing that there's increasing um, awareness that fat is not bad. There's, there's guys making bulletproof coffee, which is basically putting butter and a derivative of coconut oil in coffee. Uh, there, there are many people writing and, and teaching about this now. I, I've been in multiple conferences and uh, you know everything from Alzheimer's to cancer to diabetes reversal. Uh, these are all using extremely high-fat diets. Uh, Dr. Mukherjee from um, Columbia, who's written The Emperor of All Maladies, is doing research looking at ketogenic diets to shut off cancer pathways, which are driven by sugar. Uh, Dr. Del Bredesen from the Buck Institute on Aging is using 
high-fat ketogenic diets to reverse dementia. And there's large studies going on now looking at high-fat diets for reversing type 2 diabetes, getting people off insulin. So we see this all the time, and that's really why I wrote the Eat Fat, Get Thin Cookbook, was to help people understand how to actually use good fats in the right way uh, that supported their health and help them sort of separate fat from fiction, uh, if, you, if you know what I mean. I, I do. So um, just to clarify for people, the ketogenic diet is... Uh a very unusual kind of diet for many people, and that's a very... Yeah. I don't recommend that for everybody, but it, right. you know, in certain therapeutic situations, it can be very, very effective. Okay. Um, so this is where you use you know, diets that are extremely low in carbohydrates, 50 grams or less, uh, and, and 60, 70%, sometimes even 80% fat diets, uh, and the body literally will, will shift into using ketones for energy instead of glucose, and the brain often works better on that, and it's really quite... Quite powerful, right? Because our brain really is needs cholesterol, right? It needs fat to function. Absolutely, your brain is made up of sixty percent fat. Saturated fats and and cholesterol make up a lot of your brain. You you really often will will um, become very depressed when you don't have fats. Omega three fats are important for the brain. So they really, go ahead. Or uh, sadly, uh, you know, have gotten in this culture of avoiding fat. We we don't eat uh, you know whole eggs. We like egg white omelets. I still see this. I still people see putting skim milk in their coffee. I, I still, still see people eating low-fat foods, and, and this is probably the worst thing you could do for your health. So what are the good fats, and, and you know, what are the good fats that we want to have in our pantry? So there's, there's really, um, I would say, the good, bad, uh, the good and the bad, and then there's the middle you mm-hmm. know, ground where people are still debating. The obvious ones are, are good that are omega-3 fats. It's from fish oil. It's from uh, olive oil and extra virgin olive oil, particularly nuts and seeds. These are all fats that everybody agrees are healthy. There have been large studies, for example, looking at, at uh, like 7,000 people giving half olive oil and, and nuts and the other half like a low-fat diet. And the, the benefit of the fat was so great that they had to stop the study after four years because the people who weren't getting the fat actually were having heart attacks and dying. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are really everybody agrees on. Then there's the ones that everybody agrees are bad, which is the um, trans fats. These are very, very bad fats that are, are from margarine shortening uh, that have been in our food supply. And they're still in our food supply, but have been, agree- have been recently declared as unsafe to eat by the FDA, which is quite um, startling considering they're still in foods, and it's going to take a long time for them to get the food uh, free of these trans fats. Then there's uh, the more controversial ones, which were the saturated fat and the fats that are refined vegetable oils. And and so there's 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 a increasing body of literature proving that saturated fats aren't the enemy we thought they were. That we've been eating these for centuries. That they're part of our biology. That they they do raise LDL cholesterol, but that they also raise the HDL and they improve the overall profile of cholesterol. And that they um, in the context of a low sugar and starch diet, they actually may be helpful. Uh, omega-6 fats are refined vegetable oils. These are new to nature substances. These are things that, that, that humans have just refined from vegetable oils over the last 100 years. So we had, like, for example, no soybean oil 100 years ago. Uh, and now we have 10% of our diet. And it's refined. It's, it's, it's extracted through heat and solvents. It's deodorized. And it's really a very... Um, concerning trend, in my view, that, that has been backed up by literature. Now, there's, there's some studies that show that these vegetables are healthy, but it often is um, combined with data that, that includes omega-3 fats. 
and the omega-3 fats offset the dangers of the omega-6. But when you just isolate the omega-6 vegetable oils, I don't think they're as helpful. So I, I tend to people have avoiding these. So I think people can have grass-fed butter, they can have vegetable oils, they can have coconut, I mean, they have vegetables, um, nuts and seeds that contain oils, but not the actual derived oils. And so all those are really, uh, really simple principles that I use in my kitchen. So I have uh, grass-fed butter, I have ghee, I have extra virgin olive oil, I have nuts and seeds, I have nut butters, I have coconut butter, coconut oil, I have avocado oils, uh, I, have, I have, you know, kind of fatty fish as part of my, my fat in my diet. All these are really, really important to have in your diet. So, um, and you also talk about another oil in your um, in your book, the MCT um, oil, which is, seems yeah. a little bit more specialized and and unique. So, could you you could talk about that? Those are yes. Um, so, MCT oil is a derivative of coconut, and and it basically works in a quite different way than other oils. It's absorbed differently in the body. It has different properties. It actually stimulates metabolism. It helps you produce ketones. It, is improves your brain function. It's the preferred fuel for your energy um, production, your cells, your mitochondria. So all of these things are are really great properties of the MCT oil that are being discovered. It's used as you know the most available, easy to digest and, and metabolize oil. So I really encourage people to um, you know consider adding this to their diet. So when you um, when you talk about uh, getting people on this eat fat get thin plan and you have a 21 day plan um, you also talk about a transition plan so if someone's saying wow this sounds really interesting I, I'd like to explore this more it, there are some steps people would need to take could you could you talk about that a little bit yeah I think I think you know people should should start out really by doing a reset you know I think most of us have been living lives that we don't pay much attention to our diet or we try to you know eat healthy but most of us have never sort of taken a short period of time, let's say 21 days, and say, I'm just going to do a reboot. Like when, you're, when your computer needs cleaning and kind of got all these corrupt files on it and everything's not working, you need to kind of hit, you know, get the, the virus cleaner and the reset and really reset your system. And that's what we do with the 21-day effect get Thin program. We have people eliminate all the junk and processed food, sugars, um, and then eat good quality fats, eat lots of fruits and vegetables, eat nuts and seeds, eat good quality grass-fed uh, animal products, sustainably raised animals or pasture-raised eggs, um, small fish that doesn't contain mercury, and it really provide a really great foundation for people to reset their biology. And then we have them sort of expand their diet and add more uh, starch or other foods depending on how their biology works. Now, some people tolerate a little, a little bit of starch, others can tolerate more. Uh, but it really, really depends on on the individual. And if you're a type two diabetic who's on drugs and insulin, uh, you might need, you know, a longer, um, you know, a longer sort of uh, period of time restricting carbohydrates. Whereas if you're super healthy and you exercise and you're, you're your ideal weight, you know, you may be able to tolerate a wider range of foods. So if you've just uh, tuned in, we're speaking with Dr. Mark Hyman about his new book, The Eat Fat Get Thin Cookbook. So um, it was one thing you said in there that I thought was very interesting, and I had this experience when I, when I was changing over my diet a little bit, um, was that if you leave out carbs, you know, if you take them out of your diet, it's possibly possible that you get really hungry and really tired. So can you talk uh, about that transition there? Yeah, well, I don't think you get hungry uh, if you eat enough fat. If you don't, you, you'll definitely right. get hungry, right? Mm -hmm. But what happens is when you when you are used to eating um, food that raises, raises insulin. Insulin makes your body retain salt. 
So you essentially um, retain a lot of water. And when you stop eating the starch and sugar, your body will dump the water and the salt, and all of a sudden you will um, be very uh, weak and tired and not feel good. So the key is adding a lot of salt to your diet. Hmm. And adding salt during the initial phases when you are starting to drop the water. And people think, oh, salt's bad for you. Actually, it's not the salt that you add to your food that's bad. It's the salt that's added uh, to your food by corporations. Right. And that is, that's processed food of all kinds. Um, so I think it's important for people to make sure they're getting enough fluid and salt in their diet. And that usually the transition is very easy. And the, the amazing thing is within a very, very short time, um, you know, very, very short time, within days, people's hunger gets cut um, and really improves their overall um, quality of life, energy, all these other symptoms get better. We had people do this diet and they had a, uh, not just, I call it the FLC syndrome, which is when you feel like crap. So not just did their overall weight and every and blood sugar and blood pressure improve, but their um, symptoms from all diseases went down dramatically. There was a 68% reduction from all symptoms uh, from all diseases within 21 days, which is pretty impressive when you think about it. And it's just, whether it's migraines or asthma or digestive issues, uh, all of those symptoms that are often related to how bad our diet is mm-hmm. uh, really will, will get better or improve once you've eliminated these processed foods and get rid of inflammatory foods and all the starch and sugar. Right. And you, you had that experience yourself when you, when you changed out your diet and started adding in more fat. I wonder if you I, might share that with our listeners. Yeah, well, you know, I, I always sort of was very trying to focus on the latest research. In the sort of 80s and 90s, it was low-fat, and I was eating low-fat, vegetarian, mostly diet. And, you know, I noticed that my body was, was getting heavier, that I, I was losing muscle, that, you know, I was just seemed to be, like, having trouble. And I was, you know, I really exercised regularly, and, and my my body just wasn't responding. And I began to look at the research and started to shift my diet and eating more uh, fat and far less I thought pasta was a health food, you know, I thought right. bread was good for me. Uh-huh. Uh, and I and I essentially cut all that out and started eating more fat, good fats. I started eating more good quality protein. And all of a sudden, you know, my muscle mass increased without any exercise. My, my lean body mass improved. Um, I felt more energy and more clear-headed. It was really quite amazing. So, like, I, I looked... I was looking through my photo album the other day, and I saw pictures of me like on the beach when I was 20 years ago, and I'm far more muscular at 37 than I was at at 57 than it was at 37, doing far less exercise simply by cha- changing my diet. And the animal studies and other human studies prove this out. Mm-hmm. So for people out there who are, are vegans or vegetarians, uh, you know, might be sitting there in horror like, oh my God, you know, eating animal food. You know, is there a way that someone who is more of a vegetarian can can yeah. do this? A, yes, you can. It's a lot higher. I mean, to get what you would equivalent amount of protein you need for let's say six ounces of, of fish or chicken or grass-fed meat, you need to eat three cups of lentils. Wow. <laughs> so it's, it's hard to get that much adequate protein for muscle synthesis, which you need about 30 grams per, per uh, meal, and especially as you get older. But you can do it, and, and there, there are ways to do it. Um, there are protein supplements. There are um, ways you know, to use nuts and seeds as well as uh, beans uh, and less grains and more you know, uh, other foods. You can have, for example, tofu and tempeh, which are high-quality protein sources that are low in sugar. So I think that's really, uh, it's really possible, but I think we, we've seen that many, many studies, even low-fat vegans versus high-fat vegans, the higher-fat vegans do way better in terms of their 
weight, metabolism, their cholesterol profile, everything gets better. And what's beautiful, I love that you've taken the strengths of the paleo and the vegan diet and put it together to create what you call the the pagan diet, the pagan diet, however you would pronounce that. Yeah, it was sort of a joke. I was sitting on a <laughs> on a uh, panel with a friend of mine who was a paleo doc. Another one was a cardi- cardiologist who was a vegan, and they were arguing. And I was like, "You, you guys," I said, I'm, "You're paleo and you're vegan. I must be a pegan." And then I started to think about it, and the principles are really very, very, very similar. We had, you know, um, the idea of of eating whole foods, of avoiding processed foods, of having good quality fats, of eating lots of vegetables and fruit, of eating nuts and seeds and good oils, and getting rid of um, you know a lot of the toxic processed foods and starch and sugar that are in our traditional diet. I think the main difference is where, where the source of protein comes from. So protein from you know beans and nuts and seeds or grains versus protein from uh, you know grass-fed animal animals or, or pasture-raised eggs, uh, both are not big fans of dairy, which I, I'm not a huge fan of dairy. I think some sheep or goat may be okay, or grass-fed butter or ghee can be tolerated by most people. Uh, and, and so I really kind of try to create a very inclusive way of thinking that allows you to sort of include all foods, but understand that the majority of the food should be very low glycemic food, food that doesn't raise insulin. So you can construct many different types of diets that do that, but the key here is to not eat a diet that is full of starch and sugar, and and when you eat a lot of grains, then that can be a problem. Right, because that's people starch. People are insulin resistant. Yeah. Right, starch and sugar, which then turns to fat. So you're kind of in that vicious cycle anyway, even if it's yeah. whole grains. So, yeah. um, you know, there's this national trend now in culinary medicine, and and you yourself uh, teach cooking classes and have said that doctors ought to take their white coats coats off and put some aprons on, um, because if we're going to take food as medicine, we got to get into the kitchen. So, um. Talk about that in terms of you know saying okay I need to get my people here who are interested in this a, a cookbook that they can work with. Absolutely, I, you know, uh, you know I think as a doctor I use food as my main medicine. It's the main prescription I give people. It's it's really the most powerful drug. It's a better drug than most drugs. And doctors don't know how to use food as medicine. You know, food is the biggest cause of chronic disease. It's the best cure, and yet doctors know very little about food. So the, the idea of, of having doctors teach their patients about nutrition is key. And we at the Center for Functional Medicine at Cleveland Clinic and also at my practice, the Ultra Wellness Center in Lenox, Massachusetts, we have nutritionists see every patient who comes in. You cannot see a doctor without seeing nutritionists because I can't practice medicine without using food. And I, and I believe cooking is a really powerful tool for people to reclaim their health because most of us have been disenfranchised from our kitchen and we don't know how to actually cook, and uh, and unless we can feed ourselves well, we're going to be at the mercy of, of having corporations cook for us, which is really quite a problem. So I, th- I think um, we, we need to reclaim our kitchens. We need to, to understand that cooking is not a chore, that it that can be fun and delightful, and that you can make delicious food simply and easily and inexpensively, uh, and, and, and in fact, without using a ton uh, of your time. I cook three meals a day and probably 30 minutes total by simply you know, learning how to be efficient in the kitchen and learning certain skills and also having, uh, you know, simple meals that I can cook. Right. So it really is a skill and peop- and it's something if you haven't learned it, you can. And, uh, you know, it can be quite enjoyable. I mean, I know I use cooking as a way to calm down at the end of the day and kind of refocus myself and, you know, it's, and then I you have... My, my, I, taught my, I mean, I taught my son and kids how to cook when they were younger. Now my son cooks as a chef for people, you know. Oh, that's beautiful. We really never had any formal training. We just we just enjoyed cooking in the kitchen together 
and playing together and just having a good time. Yeah, yeah. And that, and of course, you know, a lot of, uh, we eat every day, so why not enjoy it and, and actually be around community and others? It's a social event as well. Um, so in your cookbook, you've got uh, over 175 recipes that I, I thought were quite varied from bullet craft, billet Bulletproof coffee, like you talked about, to chocolate truffles, to creamed turmeric tail, kale, and uh, and even meatloaf. Um, you kind of have something for everybody there. Pretty much. I mean, it, it includes even desserts. It includes all kinds of, uh, you know, vegetarian dishes, meat dish pack. So, what's the, what's the single most important thing pe- you think people could do in in moving towards including more fats in their diet? What are the first steps you want you, you would recommend? I think the first thing is to understand that, you know, really it's not a great idea to add a lot of fat if you're eating a lot of starch and sugar because it'll just get stored like everything else you're eating. So that's the first thing is to cut down or cut out for a while. Um, Think of sugar and flour as recreational drugs. (laughs) You might have like a glass of wine with dinner, but you're not going to have a bottle of wine for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Essentially, that's what we do with sugar and starch in our diet. So that's really the first thing. Uh, The second thing is then add a lot of good fats. Use extra virgin olive oil, buy quality oils. Um, get nuts and seeds, get, uh, use omega-3 fats in things like sardines, salmon, small wild fish. Also, you can get fish oil capsules, uh, whole eggs from pasture-raised chickens, not pasteurized, but pasture-raised. Um, really think about using good quality fats, coconut oil, grass-fed ghee or butter, uh, and using these as your staples. Great. And, and in your cookbook, I saw that when you, when you go to your site, there's also the opportunity for people to enroll in a class, an online class um, with you about yeah. how to institute this program, which is a great way for people to get some, some extra help and support. Maybe you could talk about that for a moment and how people sure, can get know, in touch with you. Absolutely. So, you know, what, what we found is that people do much better together, that, that people get healthy together, that we're sort of getting healthy as a team sport, and that in order for people to thrive, they need support and help. And so we've created an online community and experience called the Eat Fat Get Thin Challenge where people can do this together. We literally had thousands of people go through this, have tremendous experiences. And you can sign up at eatfatgetthin.com. And it's just really a wonderful way to actually get supported by me, by nutritionists, uh, coaches that I have. All of the all the things you need to succeed are right there and, and, and lots of really extra tools and resources. That's fantastic. And I, I, I do love that quote in your book that says, uh, everybody needs a buddy. That's right. Everybody <laughs> needs a buddy, exactly. It's true. You know, we all yeah. need help. And then if you do it together with somebody, it's, it's much, much better. Yeah, that's fantastic. So again, for, for people who want to get in touch with you, they can go to eatfatgetthin.com, is that correct? Absolutely. And then Absolutely. is there another site as well? Yeah, drhyman.com is another great resource. So, Well, thank you so much for um, being with us today and, and sharing your wisdom about fats, and people should start getting out there and changing up their diets a little bit. Um, and, um, of course, there are resources for them with the book Eat Fat, Get Thin Cookbook. Uh, Thank you so much for the work that you do, Dr. Hyman, and for being with us today on Health Watch. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in to Health Watch. I'm Ellen Goldsmith, a licensed acupuncturist, your host. You can listen to this episode and more episodes of Health Watch online at kboo.org slash healthwatch.